A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. everyone to Jewish History Soundbites, another episode, but this is a episode in our Malava Malka series, and special since uh, Chayel is coming up this week, and it's uh, an accepted tradition amongst Hasidim that Chayel, Yud Chesel, is the birthday of both the Baal Shem Tev and the Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. And therefore, it's a very special day. It's a big yontif. And we're going to fabreng on Chayel. So to get ready and to get into the atmosphere. So they're ready the mighty Shabbos before. You know, in Hasidus, always, there's always an emphasis on the hachona, the achuna, the preparation for the mitzvah. So already mighty Shabbos, we're going to get into the Chayel mode. Now, to get ready for Chayel... On one hand, we should drink a l'chaim, we should have a little mashka, some vodka. Or, since it's the Alter Rebbe, so we should sing his songs, the Dalit Bavis, or Avinu Malkeinu, Ein Lanu Melech or Keiliata. But if I would sing any any song, not just those, any song, then then I think that we would lose all our listeners. And that would be very sad. So instead, we'll stick to what I'm good at. And we'll do a little bit of the history. And since it's the birthday of the Alter Rebbe, so I thought we'd focus a little bit on the um, the early years and the rise to leadership of the Alter Rebbe. So again, this is Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. We're going to talk a little bit about the the um, the early and the path, really, to leadership of how the Alter Rebbe came. So we're going to go back in time to where Rav Shneir Zalman, as he was known, later known as Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, but he was actually, before that, in another town nearby called Liajna. And um, and he's buried in a third place, in Hadich. Now, and he was running away from Napoleon, so he ended up in Hadich. So when I go with the groups, which is in the Ukraine, I go with groups... So we go to, well, on our Ukraine trips, we go, um, sometimes if we're brave enough, we make it all the way out to Hadish. It's pretty far, it's out of the way. So when they compl- the guys complain, so I tell them, you know, it's not 
the Alter Rebbe's fault that Napoleon invaded Russia at that time, and he was stuck in the interior, and that's why he's all the way out in Hadish. But on the other hand, if he would have stayed in Liadi, then even fewer people would be going to his cover because it's the other end of Belarus today, which almost no one goes to, and Ukraine is pretty popular. So luckily he made it down to the Ukraine, so the trips we can go, even though we have trips to Belarus as well. So anyway we would go, we would be able to visit and spend some time and absorb the atmosphere of the Alta Rebbe. So he, the Reb Shneir Zalman, he's one of the youngest Hasidim at the Maggid of Mizrich's place. He, a lot of senior Hasidim there, but he's part of the, what's called the Helege Chavraya, the holy group of Hasidim, of Talmidim, of the Maggid of Mizrich, of Dov Ber. And the Hasidus begins to spread. So taken to the what the, what the world looks like at the time. First of all, we're talking about in the later 1700s, the se- second half of the 18th century. And the Polish kingdom is collapsing. Everyone still lives in the Polish kingdom. This is before the partitions. But the partitions begin in the last year of the Magid's life, in 1772. And it's the period of time where the empire surrounding the Polish kingdom, they gobble up the parts of the Polish kingdom, a small part to Prussia, a large section, Galicia, to the Austro-Hungarian empire, and the lion's share, almost two-thirds eventually, after the Napoleonic Wars, when it's finally solidified, to Tsarist Russia, the Russian empire. So this is kind of a period of transition, and it's very, very interesting there's There's been a little bit of research into this, but it definitely needs a lot more about Dafka during this period of time when the Polish kingdom is imploding and the partitions of the Polish kingdom are happening and there's three new empires. That's the specific time that Hasidus spreads geographically over new areas, essentially conquers new areas, and each of the Magid's Talmidim they spread the light of Hasidus and gain adherence and build courts across these areas um, that eventually become part of different kingdoms, mainly in Russia, like I said. And you have, for example, the, the Kedusha Slavery of Levi Zagobaditchev and, and um, <coughs> excuse me, and Rabnachem Chernobyl or the Marinayim and others, many, many others in the Ukraine. You have the Noem Alimelech, or Melech of Lezhensk, bringing it to Galicia, and his Talmidim spread it there. You have his main Talmud, the Choyze of Lublin, later the Koznitzer Magid also bring it to Poland, and you have in, in Lithuania, you have a, a very interesting Rebbe of Chaim Chaikel of Amdor, and you have Reb Shloim of Karlin, who was continuing really, what his Rebbe, Rabbi Hagadol of Karlin, had started. And then you have, that's in Lithuania, in Lita. And then you have Belarus, what then was called White Russia. And the ones who spread Hasidus to White Russia were two great students of the Magad of Mizrich, Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Vitebsk and Rabbi Avram Kalisker. And one of the ones who accompanied them to White Russia was Rabbi Shneir Zalman. He was a younger he called himself a a a Talmud of Remendel of Atepsk. He was probably what we would call a 
Talmud Chaver, a semi-Talmud, sort of a contemporary friend of the Rebendala, but, uh, but, but in certain ways the Talmud also is definitely much younger than him. And he accompanies them and they're spreading Hasidus to white Russia. They build their courts there. Tepsk, it was in Minsk for a period of time, also Mendel. Mendel is the main one. And, and they're, they're spreading it in this geographical area, which, which uh, after the partitions are done, it becomes part of Russia. So it's part of the Russian Empire after the full collapse of the Polish Kingdom. Now, what happens is, way before that, just a couple of years after the Magid passes away, in 1777, things haven't yet been totally established in White Russia. And what happens is, is that Remendel of Itepsk and Ravrom Kalisker, which is a tremendous story in itself, and, and um, many books have been written about it, and much, much talk and, uh, and uh, much legend also has been surrounding this, the great Aliyah Sachasidim. The Aliyah that Remendel of Itepsk made, 300 Hasidim from Russia, him and Ravrom Kalisker led this Aliyah, the Aliyah of the Talmidi Baal Shem Tev, they called it, Tetzveria, and they left Europe. Now, 300 to come to Eretz Yisrael, Hasidim, it's the first major Aliyah of Hasidim, and it precedes the Aliyah of the students of the Vilna Gain by about 30 years. So it was definitely a major event, but in, uh, in the larger context of how Hasidus was spreading in white Russia, 300 Hasidim is not all that much. That means he's essentially leaving hundreds, perhaps thousands of Hasidim behind in Russia. So what happens with them? He leaves them behind. And interestingly enough, Mendel of Itepsk planned, his, his essential plan was, although it sounds, sounds uh, far-fetched today, but his plan was to continue to be the leader of those Hasidim from afar. How? Through letters, he's going to send them letters. There's actually books been assembled. These letters exist; they remain. Obviously, copies of the letters, and there's hundreds of letters because of this policy. We it's, an, it's a window into history. Uh, the relationship that Ramendel of Atebsk had with his Hasidim is literally hundreds of letters that went back and forth, and uh, it's a fascinating story in itself. The letters, the Igres Hasidim, the letters of the Hasidim between the community in Eretz Yisrael and uh, back in Russia. And through these letters and through these shluchim, he would send Hasidim back to carry these letters, to carry the message back. He would continue leading the Hasidim. How is that even possible? We have to understand that in the early days of Hasidus, the idea that, that Hasidus had to be spread through an established chutzr in a specific geographical area wasn't, wasn't all that set in stone yet, right? The Baal Shem Tov himself did not have a chutzr. The Magid did. The Rebbe of Meilach and later the Chayza made the Chatzar the central part of their Hasidic philosophy, but it didn't have to be that way. And there were other Rebbe's at the time, Tadikim at the time, who did not have a court. And they did not make it that that was the focal and central part of the Hasidus. So if Hasidus means that I'm teaching a specific path in the way to serve Hashem, and I'm connecting, I'm the conduit, I'm the tzaddik, who's the connection and the conduit of the chassid to Hashem, to God, to be able to, and all the different variations of it, and there's many interpretations of it already in the third generation of Hasidus, and I'm not going to get into that now. But whatever it is, so that could possibly done even be done even from afar. And that's what Ramendel of Atebsk attempted to do. Now it didn't work. 
it kind of failed. And by 1782, five years after he had moved to Eretz Yisrael, him and Avram Kalisker, they realized that it was not working. How did they realize that it wasn't working? They saw a couple of trends that were very disturbing to them. It was disturbing to them that, that Hasidim were disappointed that the Rebbe was too far away. They needed that physical closeness. So they started traveling to Rebbe's in Volin, in the Ukraine. They started going south to do Aliyah Laregel, to go to Tzadikim in the Ukraine, in Poland, uh, because their Rebbe it was too far away for them in Eretz Yisrael. So that means they were abandoning ship. They were going to a different court, a different derech, a different way. And they even raised an alternative option of importing a Rebbe from Volin, from the Ukraine, to White Russia. And Remendel Vitebsk was opposed to that plan also. So Remendel realized far, from far away from Tveria that his plan of be having, maintaining his Rebbe, his being their tzaddik, uh, from afar through these letters was not going to work. So he has to appoint a replacement. Now, you have to understand there's a, another issue here. Um, and this, this plays a major role, although, of course, there's the idea that it's a re- very spiritual and mystical connection between the Chassid and his Rebbe. It's also an emotional connection. It's also a social connection. It's also, in general, people gravitate towards leadership, all human beings, and especially Jews, especially traditional Jewish life, and they gravitate towards leadership, and they want that physical closeness to that leader. But beyond that, there's also a financial aspect here, and money does play a major role in the relationship between the Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael, the Hasidim, and their brethren back in Russia. Because the ones responsible for supporting the Jewish community in Tveria, the Hasidim, Remendel of the Rome Kalsker, and their followers, is the collections that go on amongst the Jews of White Russia, amongst the Hasidim of White Russia, to be able to maintain their community. So there is that connection as well. That's also a cause of concern if they would lose that connection. And that plays a role, especially later on, which perhaps we'll get to if we have time. So by so first there's a letter that Remendel Vitebsk and Rome Kalisker signed on, that they, they are appointing three emissaries who they trust, who are quite charismatic leaders in their own right, and they're somewhat students of theirs, and they should take over the needs of of the Hasidim in White Russia, but they're under the jurisdiction of Remendel of Atebsk. In other words, they're like the middlemen. The three people are Bisrol Politzker, Rabbi Sacher Bersegal, and Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi. This is the first time that he really rises to some sort of position of leadership. And over the next couple of years, the other two kind of phase out. I don't remember exactly what the what the circumstances were. I should have looked that up also. I think one of them might have even died. Whatever it was, um, Rav Shneir Zalman becomes the dominant one. And by 1785 and 1786, there's an official appointment of Rav Shneir Zalman by Rav Mendel of Itebsk and Rav Kalsker, again, from afar, through a letter that he should become the Rebbe, the leader of the Hasidim in White Russia. Well, there's a few important points to emphasize. Doesn't, it's not all smooth. The, uh, the idea that he should become the Tzaddik and he should become the Rebbe is never smooth sailing. And it's, it's very interesting. He, the Alter Rebbe doesn't come from a family of 
tzaddikim. His father wasn't a big rebbe, and he 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 didn't come naturally and easily. It was a struggle, and uh, and really, really, he rose to the occasion, and people were attracted to him. It was a genuine following, a real leader, and that's what makes the one of the many things that make the Alter Rebbe so amazing. And um, so there's a few, a few things that come into play. First of all, Remendel of Atebsk and Rav Kalisker emphasize in the letter that Rav Shneir Zalman is going to be the leader again as the middleman under their jurisdiction. It means that they're still not relinquishing their leadership there, that they're the tzaddik, and one's in charge of the Hasidim in white Russia. But they trust Rav Shneir Zalman to be their middleman because he learned by them and he knows the derech and avodas Hashem that they have taught to the Hasidim all these years, and he's going to continue that. Not only, but there's another thing. Reb Shneir Zalman himself, the Alter Rebbe, doesn't want it. He protests. He writes letters back. All this we have. All this is documented. Most of this is almost the entire episode tonight is read in a fantastic book about the Alter Rebbe by Professor Emanuel Etkis called the Balatanya. His you know, his his being the the Manhig, the leader of Hasidim, it's in Hebrew, it could be, it's already in English, and um, almost all the sources in the book are actual letters written between the two groups. And the, and the interesting thing is that, um, that he gives three reasons why he doesn't want it. First of all, he feels that he's not ro'i to be a leader. And the second reason, he's not, you know, the first reason, again, he's not ro'i, he's not, he's not someone who, who he's made for that. He's, he's not, uh, it's not appropriate for him. He's not up to that challenge. That's his first reason. And the second reason he gives is that he said, many Hasidim today expect the tzaddik to provide for their gashmius needs as well. And this, especially in Galicia, is a, is a new phenomenon, a little bit by the Noyim Melech, and then much later on developed as an idea, integral idea to Hasidim by the Choyze of Lublin, is that the Rebbe is responsible, the Tzaddik is responsible to bring down a Shefa, which today we would call mainstream Hasidic thought. But in those days it was revolutionary, and it was really the Chayze who fully developed it. And the reason it's considered mainstream today is because most Hasidim come from the Chayze. But, um, but the Shneir Zalman said, I don't provide Gashmias, that's not part of my program. I know how to give, and he writes, Hadracha ba'avodas Hashem, I know how to guide people, to teach them, to lift them up, to give them instruction and how they could grow, how could they be? They could be more spiritual. How they should daven and better, and which things they should work on, and how they can come closer. I can bring down kabbalistic ideas and explain to them how that that should ignite their internal spirit in Yiddishkeit and in the service of Hashem. But Gashmias, I don't know. That's not my thing. I'm not here to provide for them with parnasa. And, uh, and health and things like that. So, and if that's what they're expecting, then I should not be their leader. And the third thing he says, very interesting, he says, I, I don't know if it, I'm ready to sacrifice my personal growth to be able to be a leader of others, which is always the dilemma of anyone who's in a leadership position. He was a regular person like that. Uh, he, he had that struggle. Should I give up on my personal growth or should I be there for others? Not only that, but the third thing that comes into play is that there's opposition to his leadership. Not everyone wants him. Some people are happy with the status quo. Some people had other options. Not everyone wants him. And there is a little bit of a protest against his leadership. So he really overcomes his own hesitations, 
He overcomes the idea that he's supposed to be underneath people in Eretz Yisrael, and he also overcomes the opposition. And once Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Etebsk dies two years later in 1788, so then the Rabbi Zalman of Liadi becomes really the Alter Rebbe, and he becomes independent. He doesn't see, he saw himself somewhat subservient to Rabbi Mendel of Etebsk. He does not see himself subservient to Rabbi Ram Kalisker. This, of course, would come out in a very, very uh, tragic way uh, several years later, about uh, about ten years later, less than ten years later, when the it broke out into all-out war. Um, the one of the most infamous uh, machleks and disputes in the history of Kasidas is between the Alter Rebbe and Rom Kalisker, which is a story in itself. After he published the Tanya and that whole story, but the seeds of it were already from this point: is that he basically declared independence, that he's not, uh, he's still sending them money, he's still in charge of the collection and sending, supporting them in Eretz Yisrael, but he doesn't see himself as subservient to them, he's his own leader. And, um, and, uh, and, that, that, and, and he develops as his own leader, and he takes full responsibility. You know, whatever hesitations he had, once he overcame them, he fully takes charge, he takes responsibility for the spiritual welfare of his Hasidim, and he starts to teach them Avaidis Hashem. He starts to teach them how to daven. He starts to teach them what Hasidus means. He starts to bring the the ideas of Kabbalah and connects them to Hasidus. And the the court that he builds at this point in Liajne, where he lives before he moves to Liadi later on, is is where people come and he eventually has the largest amount of Hasidim in all areas at that time. And there's all different testimonies. Rabbi Nachman, Rastlov called, excuse me, called him the Sar Ha'elef. He's the master of the thousands. Why? Because he's the only one who has so many thousands of Hasidim. And he definitely had, it's hard to estimate the exact numbers, but he definitely had the largest uh, amount of Hasidim, the largest court uh, uh, for his time. Um, eventually it becomes too overwhelming. It's one of the reasons that he publishes the Tanya, is he says, look, uh, it's become too much. I can't devote enough energies and time to meet the Hasidim personally, to have a Yechidus with them, which was a unique encounter that a Hasid had personally with the Alter Rebbe, and that he would speak to him about his personal growth and what he needs to do, and how should he work in his Avodis Hashem, and what he should work on, and where he's holding, and any questions he has. It became too much. It even became too much to have groups of Hasidim come to Shab- for Shabbos, it was just too overwhelming. And one of the things he does is he publishes the Tanya, and he says, look, this is the basic guidelines. This is what I teach you when you come. So here it is as a printed Sefer. You got the basic guidebook. It's published. I wrote it. I wrote every word here. I'm responsible for it. If you have questions, write them in. And what that brings us to one of the most fascinating aspects of his leadership, and we'll end off with that, because we've simply run out of time, even though there's a lot more to say, is that he writes, and this is unparalleled in the history of Hasidus. To the best of my knowledge, there was no other court that ever had something close to this. He had something that was called Takonis Liajna, the rules or guidelines, a framework of behavior in, 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 as far, in regards to a Hasid of the Liajna court, the Hasid of the Alter Rebbe, regulating his visits to the court, regulating how he can ask questions to the Alter Rebbe, mainly by writing, 
and regulating how often he could have a Yechidus, making big distinctions between new Hasidim and old Hasidim. And old Hasidim, he gave much less time to. He said, I need to help the new Hasidim, the first-timers. I need to be able to have a Yechidus with them. I need to meet them one-on-one. And the old ones, we basically got the picture. I already met you. You have the idea. But there were times that all the Hasidim were allowed to come. And it was regulated in these Takanais, how many Shabbasim, and which Shabbasim, and which ones were for the old Hasidim, which ones for the new ones, and how to write a letter to the court, and when you would get an answer. And all this was very strictly regulated. He even had an internal uh, system of, uh, of, 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 of making sure that people kept the rules. He, he had punishments in place that people who didn't keep the rules, they would be prevented from doing different things. And it was actually a very, very organized system to be able to make sure that his leadership stayed intact and um, and and that everyone would be able to be to benefit from his teachings and from his light that he was shined across white Russia. Of course, there's a whole issue of how he funded his his chutz, That's a whole story in itself. And of course, the Alter Reb was a multifaceted person who went through much in his life. And really, each one is a story in itself. The like I said, the machlekes, the dispute with Rebbe Kalisker. The Alter Rebbe also was at the front lines of the Hisnagdus, the opposition to Hasidus. He was the main player. That's a fascinating story of the Alter Rebbe's life. He's the one of the first ones to actually articulate the Torah of Hasidus, the, the system of Hasidus through the Tanya and other writings and teachings of his. His two arrests by the Tsarist Russian government and his prison stay um, is a major story in his lifetime. So really, of course, Napoleon, which I think we did have an episode earlier on about the last part of his life. So really, he's a person who had a fascinating life. In this episode, we just focused on his early years and how he rose to leadership. So this was Yehuda Geber, Chai Elul. Enjoy, have a l'chaim, sing, sing some songs, and we'll get the light of both the Baal Shem Tev and the Alta Rebbe and many more. And you can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and trips to see the Baal Shem Tev, to see the Alta Rebbe, to go to these places and other places. And um, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Twitter at jsoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.